Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 71. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay, now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. They said nobody gets it in order. It's actually not that easy, but for me, it was easy. Nothing about listening to that is easy, and it's even harder to watch. That's a video of President Mayhem that went viral. All over the world, people watched that viral video. They watched it, they shared it, they spread it, and it went viral. In the middle of a pandemic, virality is something we all see in a whole new light. There's a lot of stuff going viral right now. The coronavirus, of course, is viral, more than anything we've ever seen in our lifetime, all over the world, and especially here in the U.S., except maybe the stupid. The stupid is also viral, insanely viral. The stupid continues to go viral at an unprecedented rate all across America. And so do videos. Viral videos have more of an impact now than ever before. Videos of gaffes by politicians. Videos of Trump saying stupid shit. Videos of morons outraged and throwing fits in Walmart after being asked to wear masks. Videos of police violence against black people. Video of the racist lady calling the cops on the dude birdwatching in Central Park. Videos of the George Floyd murder. The video of Captain Portland, Navy vet Chris David, who had the shit beaten out of him by federal agents in Portland. Videos of that insane explosion in Beirut. Oh my God! Oh my God! and videos of the tragic aftermath. Videos from the Lincoln Project and other political groups attacking Trump. Videos from the Biden campaign. Videos from the Trump campaign. Videos of people on Fox saying crazy shit. Videos of AOC doing just about anything. Videos of the barstool guy doing just about anything. Reunion videos of men and women in uniform coming home to their families after overseas tours. Videos of people falling down. Videos of UFC knockouts. Videos of LeBron dunks, videos of babies, puppies, and of course cats, highlight videos, low light videos, videos of triumph, videos of tragedy, videos that make you smile, videos that make you cringe, videos that make you angry. Videos are the ammunition in the most important political fights in our time. Videos are a form of currency. Videos are increasingly how Americans get our news. How we get our sports, how we get our information, how we get our politics. Videos can make us angry. 
They can make us act. And they can make us smile. Viral videos have never been more potent or more powerful. Radio is dead. TV is dying. And even podcasts don't pack the same punch. <clears throat> but video is the format that's changing our world. Think about it. How many short videos have you watched and shared in the last week alone? Videos are everywhere. From TikTok to YouTube to Twitter to Facebook to the video your friend who always texts you videos texted you this morning. Watch this is the new call to arms. You brace yourself a bit and you click that link. You hope for the best. And you hope you don't have to endure an awful commercial before it plays. Yes, video killed the radio star. It also created the YouTube star. YouTube stars like Logan Paul and Jeffree Star and an eight-year-old boy named Ryan who reviews toys for other kids, has 40 billion views on YouTube, and made over $22 million last year alone. Video killed the radio star. And video also killed the TV star. And it's killing TV overall. But video also elected Trump. And video will determine if he's re-elected this fall. Let's go to the videotape. In the battlefield of social media, videos are the fire missions being launched daily and being countered and being scrubbed. This week, Twitter restricted Donald Trump's campaign from tweeting after an account shared a video, one that contained false claims about the coronavirus. It was a video of Trump's interview on Fox News where he said kids are, quote, almost immune to the virus. Twitter said that was a violation of Twitter rules on COVID-19 misinformation, and the owner was required to remove the tweet before they could tweet again. Just a few hours before that, Facebook removed a post from Trump's main page that had the same video for similar reasons. Now, just a few weeks ago, you may remember Twitter ripped down a Trump video that used a song by our friend Mike Shinoda in Lincoln Park without their permission. And a brand new Trump campaign ad altered a photo of Joe Biden campaigning outside in Iowa to make it look like he was hiding in his Delaware basement. The Trump campaign has been regularly manipulating images of Biden and putting them in videos. We're truly living in the golden age of video attack ads. And videos can have tremendous influence. The Russians surely know that. And of course, Trump knows that better than just about anyone. Trump got elected thanks to them. He also almost lost because one of them leaked from Access Hollywood. Remember that? His presidency has been fueled by them. And his presidency may come apart because of them. And any day now, Joe Biden will announce his vice presidential pick. And he'll probably do it with a video. Video is a dominant weapon on our modern political battlefield. It's everywhere, and it's used by everyone. In 2020, video is the AK-47 of global political warfare. And there's only one true master of the viral video on Twitter right now. Videos that can make your jaw drop. Videos of people experiencing epic fails. Videos of surfers being rocked off their surfboard by a dolphin. But also, videos of sick kids smiling. 
Babies laughing. People happy. People helping. The brighter side of life. A little bit of hope in a viral video. And nobody's catapulted to the forefront of America's internet consciousness since the pandemic hit, like Rex Chapman. And he's got a hell of a story. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Ed and with the triumphant comeback. More but tonight... Don't call it a comeback! I've been here for years... Rex Chapman may be an unlikely player in the new, evolving American political arena. America's down on its luck. America needs a good comeback story of its own. And while we wait for it, fight for it, and pray for it, America loves a good comeback story. And Rex Chapman is a hell of a good comeback story. Rex Chapman was a high school sensation on the basketball courts in Kentucky. He was a McDonald's All-American who stayed in his home state to play college ball for the Wildcats of Kentucky. He was a freshman phenom and won SEC Freshman of the Year. Watch another freshman, Chapman. Showtime. There's Muhammad Ali, the champion, who's watching a future heavyweight in Rex Chapman. Rex Chapman was a superstar. He took the Wildcats to the Sweet 16. He played for the U.S. national team in the Pan Am Games. And he left college early as an NBA lottery pick, going number eight overall in the 1988 draft to the brand new Charlotte Hornets expansion team. He electrified America in the dunk competition and played for 12 seasons for the Charlotte Hornets, Washington Bullets, Miami Heat, and Phoenix Suns. He was always a fan favorite and once dropped 39 points on Michael Jordan. But injuries eventually drove Rex out of the game and into addiction. After transitioning into the business side of basketball and into broadcasting, Rex fell into gambling and the deepest depths of opioid addiction. He fell hard and he fell in public, and it almost killed him. But Rex Chapman got back up. Rex Chapman's always been a fighter, and he fought back. He got help. He got support. He started a new life after opioids, and he started helping others wherever he could. And he started sounding off on Twitter, where things exploded. And his account has now become a daily visit for millions. From friends of this pod like Ambassador Susan Rice, Ron Perlman, Stephanie Rule, and Jeffrey Wright, to Booger McFarlane and Martina Navratilova, to Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, to Megyn Kelly, from Trevor Noah, to MC Hammer and Ice-T, to Congressman Justin Amash and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They all follow Rex. Before they check the news or before they go to bed, they check to see what Rex Chapman has posted. And he's not just posting videos. He's calling bullshit. He's putting out good information and he's making an impact. My opinion is follow the science, listen to our doctors. You know, it, it's not over just because we get bored and tired and think that we're over it. It's going to be here for a while. And, you know, I, a lot of old people are, are taking it on the chin. And I like a lot of old people in my life. So, you know, for lack of a better term, just don't be a dick. Wear a mask. Rex Chapman is the content we're here for. Rex Chapman is a great American comeback story, and his story is still unfolding. He talked to me from his home in Kentucky. We talked about how the hell he got into the space he's in, what he thinks of the NBA's comeback, and if it'll last, what he thinks about Trump. He has a lot to say about his senator, Kentucky Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. We talk about race and Black Lives Matter. 
He has an amazing favorite drink and first car story. And for the first time anywhere, Rex shares whether he thinks Rupp Arena, home of his beloved Kentucky Wildcats, should change its name. And he shares a very interesting and infuriating story about the White House and Trump that he's never shared before. It's a really fun, inspiring, interesting conversation with a fascinating, passionate, humble, and very cool guy. Whether you're a sports fan or not, you're going to want to hear this conversation. It's one from a guy who's been on top of the world and at the bottom of the barrel. He's honest, smart, and candid, and I hope he's just getting started. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you'll remember episode 17 this time last summer, when I introduced you to the first female Marine Corps pilot in history to fly the F-A-18 on a combat mission, Amy McGrath, who's now running in Kentucky against Mitch McConnell for Senate. No matter what party you claim, or no party at all, you should be rooting for Amy McGrath. Not only to win, but to reclaim what it means to be from Kentucky. And despite fighting hard, she's down in the polls. And if she loses, I hope Rex Chapman's name is out there as a leading contender to take on McConnell next time. Or to take on Rand Paul, the other Kentucky senator, and the guy whose video highlights include gems like voting against support for 9-11 first responders like me. Rex Chapman is not a guy you should ever underestimate or ever count out. Whether it's playing basketball, fighting addiction, or making a difference, Rex Chapman is a winner. And if you care about America, you'll love this conversation. He's a guy that's bringing the fire, speaking for millions, and keeping it real. And he's bringing some light to some otherwise dark times. There are two kinds of leaders in America right now. The kind that are trying to contain and defeat the virus and win the war. And a second kind that's trying to kill the rest of us. Rex is a guy who's trying to help America win the war against the virus. And against hate. And against addiction. And against depression. He's a team player. And he's encouraging everyone else to be a team player too. Because we're all in this together. Just like the rest of us, Rex Chapman is a rider on the storm. Riders on the storm Riders on the storm Yeah, Rex is riding that storm, just like the rest of us, and he's trying to make that ride just a little bit smoother, just a little bit happier. And since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Rex has raised more than a quarter of a million dollars to help others. He's giving back, and he's doing his part to counter the heat by hitting his own three-pointers of light. He's a television presenter of a block-and-charge TV show, now on Adult Swim, built off his tweets. He's got almost one million followers on Twitter, and he heads the Rex Chapman Foundation. He's a source of laughs, hope, and inspiration in a time where we could all use more of it. And I asked Rex, like I ask many of my guests, if you were a professional wrestler or a candidate for president, what would your walkout song be? And Rex, amazingly, chose Prince and this, which is, of course, perfect for Rex. He's emerged as a superstar on Twitter, and Twitter is erotic city. It's weird, twisted, wonderful, fun, strange, enticing, unexpected, funky, just like the times we're living in. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the fighters on the front lines of the three storms pounding our country, the virus, the protests, the election, 
with a conversation with another important, inspiring, and iconic angry American. Rex is a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present, and is definitely shaping our future, especially on social media. And he's a leader that's bringing the four eyes that define this show. Rex Chapman is now the master of social media video clips. And in this episode, we go inside with the master. It's an earnest dog video of integrity. Dogs, bruh. It's a public service announcement. Wear a damn mask video of information. It's a crushing block or charge video of impact. And it's a happy child video of inspiration. It's the laughs we all need dipped in a healthy dose of perspective with some great storytelling and a shot of humility. Welcome to a deep dive into the power of video. And we actually do have video. You can find it on YouTube or the Angry Americans website. Welcome to a discussion about how to deal with pain. Welcome to an exploration of how to overcome adversity. Welcome to a conversation about how to turn your life around. Welcome to an episode about making the most out of every situation. America is a team game. So welcome to a conversation about how to be a real team player. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 71. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, we have a very special August surprise, an August treat, an August inspiration, a guy that I have admired for decades, been a fan of for decades, and have really become even more of a fan of in the last couple of years. Uh, an, an awesome dude, and I'm very, very proud and happy to welcome the great and powerful Rex Chapman joins us on Angry Americans. How are you, my friend? Man, Paul, thanks for having me. I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here, what I've done to uh, deserve to get to be here, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you, dude. Really. Well, you know, you've been, I think you've been a bright spot for a lot of people during this pandemic. And I want to get into that because, you know, there's a lot of emotion happening in this country and around this globe. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, Rex Chapman's helped me get through it. And, you know, wow. that, that's making a dent in, in this country and in the universe, man. And, and many of us are grateful for it. So I got to tell you that off the top. Thanks, bro. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, hey, it's a scary time. And if you're not scared right now, I think you're probably lying to yourself. Um, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I turn the TV on. Uh, you look around. We're living in a, a weird time. And uh, I do appreciate it. I'm trying to get through like everybody else. And with this silly Twitter, putting out the videos and stuff like that, it helps me get through. And if it helps others get through, all the better. So, Rex, I want to ask you that to start off. I've been asking this of everybody since the pandemic started. Where are you geographically and, and how are you, man? Yeah, uh, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. I uh, moved back here three or four, oh, gosh, yeah, four years ago, I guess. From, I've been out west for 20, 25 years. Um, I'm doing well, much better now than I was, say, even a month, six weeks ago. I. You know, for me, I've had addiction and all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that really kind of keeps me sane, I feel like, is swimming. Mm. And 
for the last four years. I get in the pool. I swam as a kid, so it doesn't really feel like I'm working out. I can go, go knock it out. But then the pandemic comes, pools are closed, and now I'm, I'm kind of screwed with what kind of keeps me going. So I started walking more. My body was hurting more and did that for a couple of months. So, you know, you kind of get, you can get gummed up in your head, man, when you get thrown off your routine and we're all thrown off our routine right now. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the swimming is a really good point because, uh, you know, I'm, as I get older, I also yeah. find swimming is better for the old bones, right? And sure I'm, is, man. I've been trying to find, you know, creeks or anywhere, especially where I could take my little guys and get them connected to the water. But, um, I, I feel you on that, man. And, and I think yeah. that that's one of the things that, uh, it's totally turned upside down. I mean, you're a guy who's been an athlete your whole life. Um, you know, you've been through ups and downs. A lot of, I want to get into, but, yeah. but have you have you adjusted your routine? I mean, you've had to travel all around the world, you know, live in hotel rooms. Any any tips on on building on that, on keeping yourself sane and keeping yourself healthy during adversity? Man, you know, I think the biggest thing for me and being a ath- uh, former athlete is, you know, you, you judge a lot of what you do based on your box score. And, mm-hmm. and how you perform the previous day. And as I've gotten older, I still sort of base my performance on what did I do today to help myself physically and mentally and, and all that. So I still kind of, I, I still kind of do that, but it took some, you know, there, there for a couple of months, man, uh, I was really weirded out. Um, you know, I found myself being antsy and, and, uh, just out of sorts. So, you know, I think, and for someone like me, you tend to feel like you can do everything on your own. The one thing I found out with trying to fight through addiction and stuff is that's not something you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. And I know when I get down and when I get um, anxiety filled, I tend to want to isolate. And that's the worst thing in the world for me. It's the worst thing in the world to isolate because I can wake up and not talk to anybody and be just fine. But it's not healthy for me. So throughout the pandemic, I had to try to continue to, even though, you know, you couldn't see people, try to do these Zoom meetings with friends from everywhere, try to stay connected with people, you know, family, parents, that kind of stuff, but stay connected in person. And that really did sort of, you know, help me bridge the gap while I couldn't swim. Mm. So you have been kind of creating this community around your Twitter handle, and I want to get into that. But you mentioned you're coming to us from Lexington. We, we can kind of, folks who are watching, you know, if you're listening, go to the website. You'll be able to see the full video of this conversation with Rex, so you can go to YouTube. But we're inside your, your, your humble abode. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of where the magic happens, where you push these videos out to get everybody on the Internet talking, give people a big boost, create that community. You got Diet Cokes over one shoulder. You got your tie-dye Nike shirt on. And before we were getting ready to go, you were going to show me a picture. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me about the picture? uh, I didn't even know this picture existed until like, oh, three months ago. I don't know if you can see it there. I'm playing for Team USA uh, in the 80s, the Pan American Games. But my mom sent me this. Uh, They had one of their friends pass away. Through all, through all of this. Hmm. And uh, his wife was going through his stuff and they found that picture and uh, sent it to me. It's from the mid eighties. Uh, but yeah, Team USA, pretty, pretty awesome. When you think back on that now, man, I mean, you know, you guys were beloved around the world. 
Um, and now, you know, our, our country's taken a hit, but it still seems like our athletes and our artists are often the ambassadors for our country. Right. And, and right now, I think we need them more than ever. But can you reflect a little bit on that experience and on playing? You played at the highest levels in the world, but playing on Team USA specifically, what was that like for you? It was amazing. I mean, uh, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, which when I did, you know, that was, man, it's Nadia Comaneci and it's Bruce Jenner. It, it's, um, you know, all the all the great memories that you have from being a kid. And, you know, that was one of the things you go, man, you can only do that every four years. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you play a sport, you want to try to be the best at it. And then I just remember once realizing that I had it, you know, was I was invited to even try out. I was like, what? This is amazing. I was a freshman and, um, you know, I made the team and ended up starting on the team. Had one of the best times of my life. Uh, Danny Manning, David Robinson, you know, Hall of Fame guys. Um, so it was, it, I was incredibly proud and still am to this day. It's one of, you know, shoot, not everybody gets to play for Team USA. I, I It's a, a real badge of honor. Mm. You earned it, man, and you, and you represented us well. I'm glad you bring up Robinson because he's a guy that I think is a really outstanding leader of integrity that people maybe nowadays kind of forget it. But I, I'll, I'll never forget a David Robinson story. I was mm -hmm. working at IAVA, and uh, we would get random phone calls from people from time to time, and somebody came running and said, David Robinson's on the phone. And I was like, D. David Robinson? They said, yeah. And, and he – had, uh, he was a judge on a, on, a, on, a, on a contest for nonprofits. And I guess he got to pick a nonprofit and he picked Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. He had been at the Naval Academy, but he's a guy that always gave back and I think was, was a role model uh, for so many guys that are playing now. But I think you know, he's, he's that, uh, that, that, that iconic kind of subtle, strong American representative who served his country, didn't make a big deal of it, and then continued, it seems like, to have a real lasting impact on a lot of players that were younger than him, right? The Admiral, man. And again, I was a freshman. He would have been a senior on, uh, on that uh, Team USA team. Um, so I, I was really looking at the, the one of the great things I think back about David was, um, you know, to a lot of us, he, he'd already been in college for a while. He'd been in the Naval Academy. It was different than what any of us had. And he almost at the time, I can remember guys making fun of him, like, because uh, he was nerdy. Which mm. meant he was really smart. Mm. <laughs> it okay. meant he was really smart. He would want to talk about, you know, being on a submarine and what all stuff like that. And guys didn't care. You know, guys were, you know, talking about going to a party or you know whatever. He was a, more of a grown up than any of us for than most of us were. Um, and then you know, of course, I played against David forever in the NBA. But he's one of those guys. He's we played him in college right before he and I played together uh, on the Pan Am team. And uh, he got a triple-double in Rupp Arena. Just, we barely beat them. And then played against him forever. He's just one of those guys who even at a young age, man, uh, 20, 18, 19, 20, 22 years old, he was just, he was wise and mature beyond his years. Mm. A, a really good, a really good dude. Mm. Absolutely. I hope, I hope he run for office. We could use him in, in Washington right now, right? I'd love it. Um, so, Rex, I want to ask you a couple questions that I ask of all yeah. my guests. You've told us where you are. I want to ask you, one, you're about to take a sip out of a, an, a yeah. very 
tie dye diet coke. Up. Diet Coke. What what is your uh, your drink or cocktail of choice, Rex Chap? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. My I I kind of know, know my limitations at this point, and my my friends tease me because the only thing that I I ever drink they've termed it the Rex Chapman, and it's it's Coors Light on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. And hey, you, you're kind of, you're hydrating at the same time, right? Yeah. Well, it's genius. Yes. It's relaxation <laughs> and hydration at the same time. That's right. That's See, right. I did a long time ago, I did a partnership with Coors, with Miller Coors. And I went to the Miller Coors convention every year. And some of the guys who were like Coors masters, I met like Mr. Coors and wow. all these guys, they said, take your Coors light and put it in the freezer. And ever since, I'd put my Coors Lights in the freezer, just not so that they get, you know, they explode and turn a into slushy. Before they get slushy, just throw them in the in the ice box for like five, ten minutes, and that Coors Light tastes like a really beverage. Yeah, it's wow. Awesome. Okay, noted. All right. Thank so you. now, but now is that is that technically been called the Rex Chapman? If it isn't, it is just now. amongst my friends. Yeah, wow. yeah. My friends, they laugh at it. My son laughs at it every time I say, can I get a glass of ice? He's like, oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> You're the first guest we've had on this show that has his, his or her own drink, you know? Yeah, yeah. I put, I put cider on ice, which used to be a weird thing. But if I'm having a, okay. burger, or a, beer, uh, a burger and fries and you have like a, a cider and put that on ice, that's yeah. Awesome. yeah. All right. Ice, ice All right. is, you know, a modern convenience. Ice is great. America, right? Yeah, why not? All right, so so let's stay in the way way back machine here with you, Rex. And another question I ask of all of our guests, Rex Chapman, when you were growing up, what was your first car? My first car uh, was, you know, and this is well, my first car was a '66 Volkswagen Beetle. I was uh, I, I was born in '67, and um, when I turned 16, there was no chance I was getting a car. So what I did. Um, was I was playing a I, trying to play a mind game with myself, I think, because a bunch of my buddies got cars and stuff. So I was like, nah, guess what? I'm not getting I'm not getting my license. I'm gonna drive, I'm gonna ride my bike for another year and build my legs up. And at the same time, I'm playing mind games with them too. And so then I get a shitty for my 17th birthday at eight hundred dollar Volkswagen Beetle 66. It smelled like gasoline all the time, all the time. Fumes. It was awful. What color was it? What color was it? Red, Red, but not even like a a good red. Not like that car in the back there. It was just, it was, oh, it was terrible. But I loved it. Had a nice little stereo in it. Used to have to uh, scrape the insides of the windows uh, in the morning. <laughs> I, I got to ask you this because this—I would be neglect, uh, you know, negligent in my duties if I didn't ask this follow-up question. How the hell did you fit in a Volkswagen? Oh, uh, hey man, you know there were times we'd have—you know how it was back in the day. There were times we'd have four and five people in there, just crammed in there. It just the best of times. Just and you, how tall are you, teenagers? How six, tall? Six three, six four. Okay, so you're six. I'm not that tall. But if, if David Robinson's getting in the car, when nah, you he's not getting out in the there. front seat and he's yeah. in the back and do that shack thing, right? Where yeah, you rip that's out the right. Seat, <laughs> the back seat becomes your front seat, right? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. All right, man. But this is this is already a lot of fun. So, <laughs> uh, so Rex, part of why you have burst onto the scene in this new way 
is because you, you know, you had a Twitter account that has now exploded. I think you're one of the best followers on Twitter. Maybe the best. I love you. Like I love Michael Beschloss. I think is awesome. You, but I think you're one of the guys that in, in, in an environment on Twitter that can be kind of a toxic waste dump of nastiness or negativity. You're bringing positivity and, and you've blown up because you're able to find these unique videos with your unique commentary that, that get people interested and get people talking. Uh, and, you know, you coined this great term, blocker charge, which I don't know if you <laughs> see over my shoulder here, every show. I've oh, got, you do have it. I've got an Easter egg in every show. That's amazing. And as a tribute to you and what you've Thank built, you built, I got block and charge. But can you talk a little bit about how did this start? And, 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 and how did you get to this point you are now? You got almost a million followers and, and everybody's retweeting and talking about what you're posting. And you've now, you know, you're, you're getting into social commentary. You're talking about the most important issues of the day. So it's not just, you know, it's not jackass. This is something yeah. different where you're, where you're really driving a conversation. But how did it all start, Rex? I kind of failed up, you know, <laughs> for real. Um, I, uh, I had a Twitter for Jim Rome, buddy of mine, told me 10 years ago, probably, you should get on Twitter. I got on Twitter. It was great. Also, I was that guy. I was just snarky asshole. And um, then I, I, my painkiller addiction, I got in trouble. I got out. I went to rehab uh, for the third time. And um, I got out and it was off Twitter for a couple years. And then I got back on Twitter and um, really was, I, I was doing basketball stuff and you kind of need a little social media presence to, to kind of do this thing, basketball analyst mm -hmm. type stuff. And um, I wanted off, I wanted off social media because of the political toxic kind of climate. And it was getting me down. One day saw a video uh, of a, school of dolphins kind of swimming in toward the shore as a guy was paddle boarding out and one of the dolphins jumped up, hit him in the chest. And I said aloud, you know, that's a charge. <laughs> and, and I just tweeted that out. P people thought it was kind of funny and it just kind of took off, just kind of took off from there. It's funny when I hear you say spreading positivity because, you know, we live in this cesspool on, on Twitter. And you wouldn't believe the amount of people that say just the opposite, that that's not what's going on, that I'm, you know, somehow stirring the pot. Hmm. And I think all that I'm doing is showing, you know, kind of what's going on. Of course, I've got my views. It's my Twitter account. I'm going to do that. Right. But I do try to, you know, I, I had to, at some point, though, you can't just show blocker charge videos of people getting hurt all the time. It's just, it's too much. So over time I started, you know, mixing in who doesn't love dogs. I've had a dog since the day I was born, um, mixing in dog videos and feel good videos and just trying to, if nothing else, take my mind off of, you know, some of the serious stuff that's going on right now in, in our world. And, uh, in doing so, I guess, you know, and look, these are not my videos. These are videos I find. These are videos that are sent to me. You know, I'm not creating the content. I'm just putting it out there for people to enjoy. So, uh, and, and if people enjoy it, great. And if they don't, they don't have to follow. <laughs> I was going to ask you that, that too, Rex, like, how does this process happen? Right. I mean, is, is your DMs, 
like, you know, every morning you wake up to Christmas presents and some of them, yeah. you know, you don't Kinda. know what's going to be under the tree every day, but yeah. how do you get these videos? And then, you know, what's your process in putting them up? And then you've coined these like dogs, bro is the other one yeah. that, that, that everybody looks forward to, but they're kind of rexisms, right? That now correspond with different types of videos. But can you walk us through how that process happens, Rex? That's just, it's just weird. You know, um, like anything else, you don't know, you know, when you put something out, if people are going to like it or not, but knowing kind of, you know, your audience at this point, you can kind of guess a little better. Um, but yeah, I'll wake up. I've got, I've got two guys that really, you know, I lean on one of them's I've never met them. I'm not in person. They're people I met through Twitter mm-hmm. and, uh, one lives in, uh, United Kingdom. Um, the other one is in the Netherlands and, uh, they're great. I mean, they, I'll wake up in the morning and they're a few hours ahead. So they've been up right. and, uh, I'll check in, I'll get up, have some coffee. I'll check in, see what they've sent. And I'm like, man, you know, some days it's just great. And then there's two or three other people that help those guys. So they're the main kind of source. Have you seen this? And if it's, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of the times that I, I really have it. Um, and and one big reason I don't, I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook and I know a lot of stuff comes out on there before it ever makes its way to Twitter. So those guys kind of are vital in, in that happening. Yeah, man. Twitter should be giving you a cut every month. I don't know if they do or not, but like, you know, every time they get a complaint about trying to ban Trump, they're probably getting a couple of attaboys for you out there posting stuff that, you know, uses the platform, I think, in many ways that that, that, that are at its best, right? Um, so you've also now, Rex, you're pushing into more and more of your voice, which I am excited to hear. I think many of us were like, okay, what does this guy think? And now you're talking more about the pandemic, about Black Lives Matter, about Trump. We've been covering all those issues extensively on this show. But I want to give you a chance to talk, um, you know, specifically about a couple of, like your, your career has intersected with a lot of these different issues in, in different mm-hmm. ways, right? Uh, like, let's talk specifically about, about the pandemic. Like, what, what okay. is your view now? What, what, is your, what, are you, what are you thinking about this? And the, the commentary you're putting out there, I think, is really, it's populist, man. You're speaking for many people who feel like they don't have a voice. But, but what are your thoughts on, on where we are and, and what do you want people to know about what you're doing on, on that space? Wow. Um, you know, through Twitter, um, really, I, I was able to raise about a quarter of a million dollars um, a few months ago for um, COVID relief just through this silly Twitter account. You know, uh, people were scared. You know, we were seeing lines for at the food banks and uh uh, you know no ppe and whatnot and so in a very i mean within days we raised a ton of money and we started sending money to the hot spots in new york new jersey california um over the last little while uh you know i've partnered with some nba teams to bring masks to phoenix to underprivileged kids you know, they're going through it in Phoenix right now. And some of the places that I've touched, Washington, the, the Wizards and Charlotte Hornets, and we're going to partner with the Pelicans, going to partner with some of these places to really try to help kids as they maybe go back to school. You're going to have to have a mask. So, I mean, I, my opinion is follow the science, listen to our, listen to our doctors. Um, you know, it, it's not over just because we get 
bored and tired and think that we're over it. It's going to be here for a while. And, you know, I, a lot of old people are, are taking it on the chin. And I like a lot of old people in my life. <laughs> my parents are alive and I want them to stay alive. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's that's really it. Uh, for lack of a better term, just don't be a dick. Wear a mask. You know. I think I think it's it, the, the simplicity of it and and the the authenticity of it's what's really been important too. Because look, there are a lot of people who don't watch political news who aren't going to be reading the newspaper, but maybe they're in your feed and and that's right. where they get their information. And you've been thoughtful in putting out science and putting out data and encouraging people to to wear a mask. So I really think that that is a a huge contribution to the national dialogue. It's doing a social impact in a way that, that that very few other people can do, right? Like that's what athletes can do. That's what entertainers can do. And you're, you're weaving that together, man. And you're also, I've been really outspoken about black lives matter. You know, your personal journey is fascinating as well. I mean, I I don't know how many times you were maybe the only white guy on on a starting five or or one of few white guys on a team. Most Um, of the time. Yeah. And and I'm curious to hear you break down that experience and, and what you think this moment is all about, because I think you also similarly have an ability to, to, to change some minds, to open some minds, to get people to get to some people that other folks might not be able to get to. Um, but, but Rex, how, how do you break yeah. down this moment and, and what are your thoughts on, on it? You know, I was very lucky in how I grew up. My, my dad played sports and he played sports at a high level. He played in the ABA. He played in college. He was a really good high school player. His, his adversaries in town in Owensboro, Kentucky, where I'm from, went to Owensboro High. Uh, their athletic program is predominantly black. The In the county, it's predominantly white. And so by the time I came around, these were his friends that lived in Owensboro, it, many of them in the projects, who had kids. And so my dad, my mom would take me there and I, that, this is where I grew up. I would go there on weekends. I would, I, I would see that there were, you know, seven people in a one part, a two bedroom apartment, no air conditioning, all that. I learned that at five years old, mm. you know, um, I also, and then I had my white friends in the suburbs. So I, I would, and I grew up playing basketball in both places. So I got a really good dose of, you know, some culture that maybe, a, a lot of people don't. And when I talk about, and when we talk about systemic raci- racism, and I've never told this to anybody before, I was thinking about this the other day. I was a good high school basketball player. I was a really good high school basketball player. But there was at one point, there was myself, there was a guy named David Hogg, Marcus, another guy named Marcus Robinson, another guy named Avery Taylor. All three of us, we play, all four of us, we played on the AAU team together. We won the state. We were third in the nationals as 15 year old. Now, none of us were any better than the other. We were all about the same size, but we were, we were good. And it was also those guys made, allowed me when I left Kentucky to go and know I wasn't. So I'm going to go play in New York. Okay. They're not better than my guys. They're not better than my guys. I already know this. Mm. So that gave me confidence. My point here though, is that that summer, 15 years old, all four of us got invited to this. It was called the BC uh, All-Stars, which was an invitation-only camp where college coaches were going to come. Well, my dad coached. My dad also was with their pops a lot of, of the time, playing cards, 
going to the racetrack, doing that sorts of stuff. They're the same people. But my dad was the coach at the college. Hmm. You still had to pay about $150, even if you were invited to the camp. Hmm. I got to go. Hmm. They didn't get to go. There was no chance they were going to get to go. Now, I went and I was pretty good. Got noticed by the coaches. Now, all of a sudden, you know, my visibility is here, right? Also, take into consideration, I had two parents at home making me get my grades. A couple of my friends, moms worked, like worked in the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have a dad. So they... Uh, they're going to get their homework done. They're going to, and they're taking care of their little brothers. It, there's a lot of stuff there. And so I know just, I feel blessed to have experienced it, man. Um, people are people. I've never understood. One of the saddest things to me is not being concerned about another person's plight because it doesn't directly impact you. That's a shitty way to go through life. I've always felt from the time I was little. So, I, I wish I'd have said some of this stuff before it took before I was 52 years old. Mm. I feel bad about that. I really do. But, you know, we'll make up for lost time now. Yeah, you're doing it, man. Your, your voice is very powerful in this moment. And, and especially, you know, you're in a unique position as a guy who came from Kentucky, who plays Kentucky as a white player from Kentucky, who now is known and you have all these, you're in a very powerful position to influence the dialogue. And, and one of the conversations happening now is about Kentucky, right? And whether or not they change the name of, of Rupp Arena. Uh, do you have any, any, any thoughts on that or a position on that, man? You know, you're the first person to ask me this, uh, you know, publicly. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and A, because when I came to Kentucky, I didn't know that he had a, sort of a, 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 a past that could have been considered in some respects racist. I didn't know any of that. I was 18 year old kid. He wasn't even alive. Mm. Um, I have Pat Riley played for him. I would defer to Pat Riley. I would defer to the black players that ended up coming here and playing for him and the black players that played after him. And if, if those guys, if they're, uh, if they have a strong opinion about it, I'm going to listen to those guys. You know, I'm, I'm a, it's not about being woke. You can only be woke so much. I wake up white every day. I will never know what it's like. I'll never know what it's like. I can try to, I, and I do, I try to understand. I try to continue to grow and ask my, my black and brown friends all the time. What can I do? You know, what don't I know? What, you know, can I help? And, you know, to a person, they, you know, I, I and I, I do feel good about this. I know that I'm saying some things at times, social media wise, so publicly that a lot of guys still can't say black and white working at networks. I mean, I know, you know, them. I mean, buddies who, you know, they're pretty hamstrung and um, that's sad, but I do take some solace in knowing that I know that I'm speaking for them. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's powerful, man. And, and in many ways, you know, as a, as a fan, as a political analyst, as somebody else in the arena, oh. 
I feel like you're just getting started. You know, like, you know, you're, you're like a basketball player who's realizing he's pretty good at golf, right? His swing keeps getting better. Oh, man. I got a lot of smart friends. I got a lot of smart friends. That's what we need right now. A lot of the folks we've had on this show, we had David Aldridge, who obviously has a long career in basketball, but hearing him talk about fatherhood, hearing him talk about Trump, hearing him talk about politics, at this moment in time, the stakes are so high. I think we need every voice in the arena. And we need every leader to contribute. And some of them are going to be unlikely. Some of them are going to be expected. But but your voice continues to rise in, in power and in influence. And I think that's good for America. And I think it's good for basketball. So let's let's talk about that for a second, if you can. What do you think is going to happen here, man? Like basketball is starting and stopping. Baseball starting and stopping. We're finding out now college teams are shutting down football. What's your view on the landscape in sports, basketball, but beyond basketball too? What, what do you think is going to happen and what do you think should happen? Remind me later to tell you an opioid story so I don't forget it, okay? You got it. Okay. Uh, basketball, I love it. I can't believe we're back. Um, I, I've, been, I've been skeptical. Uh, I've been hesitant, you know, um, about these guys going back. I still, part of me feels kind of weird about it. You know, we know, we know, we know that, uh, black and brown communities are affected more by what's going on with this pandemic through the healthcare to a lot of, a lot of things. Um, and our leagues, you know, predominantly black, these guys are going to, you know, get out of the bubble. They're going to go see their families. Um, you know, th- this thing is so highly transmittable. That part of it scares me. That part of it does. I also was, I thought, all right, it's a bubble. It's not a bubble. This is a virus. You know, what are we doing? Mm. There's people in and out of there. Come on. I can't believe though. And I, I, I can, cause the NBA, I am so proud of the NBA. You know, when Rudy Gobert, you know, was diagnosed, uh, came down with COVID league shut it down and pretty soon thereafter the country shut it down too mm-hmm. i feel like our guys have been on the forefront adam silver has done a magnificent job that these guys as of today have tested now two weeks uh three times in a row back to back to back uh testing zero cases so mm-hmm. and i watched the tv i was concerned how it would look you know Guys like LeBron, you know, these guys who've been playing forever, they thrive on the crowd, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's part That's part and parcel of it. You know, these guys, we only did what we do because of the fans. And without the fans there, that's really, really weird. Now, I don't know how it is there. I know that I don't think anybody's going to say differently. When we're watching it on TV, it looks fantastic. It really does, you know, from the shoe squeaking to the, you know, the crowd noise to I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And the more that I watch it, the more I've missed it, man. Mm. I just have even just the background noise on hearing the announcers and the shoe squeaking, man, it's just music to my ear. Yeah, it's been, it's been impressive to watch. Um, even because, the, you know, I've always felt that the fans were too close to the players. It was dangerous, right? Like, yeah, guys me too. not having them there and having them have access, it feels like a video game. Like you're getting shots and access to the players in a way we actually feel closer to the game. I think as a viewer on television, you, you feel that way too. Yeah. And you make a great point. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many guys get hurt every year yeah. stepping on the photographer's feet and cameras and stuff like that. And they're down there doing a great job. That's not, it's not about that. I've always said, 
back them up though. Yeah. Because if you're an a, an athlete out there and you get hurt that way, there's enough going on. If you get hurt just you know taking a bad step and stepping six inches too far, because you know these are big guys and you need a, a little extra runway there to run off the end from time to time. I get nervous when my when my one and a half year old is like under my knees. I'm like, dude, yeah. I'm old. I got old. I know, right here. Stay away from my <laughs> knees, man. Daddy's old, you know. But I think, you know, you, you break it down really well, man. And I'm, I also think that the sports leagues are almost like states within America. It's yeah. going to be the leadership is going to be key here. Having it Adam is. Silver and, you know, watching him against Goodell, watching him against others. Yeah. Is now, gonna be, now, we do. In fairness, we've yeah. got an easy they we have an easier task. Yeah. You know, we have less players, yeah. way less. players. I mean, that's why I think it's a good it's a good comparison because, you know, Maine's got advantages over Florida, right. too. Right. It's going to be, you know, leadership planning and then discipline. Right. Like execution, execution, yeah. following, yeah. having, having a plan yep. and following through with the plan. Yep. Yep. This is what we're doing. This is how it's going to go. Mm. Not, you can, you know, you, you, you've had coaches, you've had leaders your whole life. And I, and I, I have to, and the one thing when you've been in a bunch of locker rooms or, and you've had different teachers and leaders, you can smell bullshit uh, quite a bit, bit of ways. And, and basketball players in a locker room you bring in a coach that doesn't have command over that locker room or is bullshitting the players and the players will you got it so my point being (sighs) greg popovich says things from time to time where you go my god what he must be like in a 20 second timeout or a half time when he's got a message he's trying to deliver Think about Trump as a leader. Mm -hmm. I just, every leader I've ever had that was any good first owns his shit and says, look, I failed here. I failed. This is on me. We're going to get better. Not, this is on y'all. None of it's on me. That's Mm -hmm. not leadership. That's not good. That's not good. I'm I'm glad you broke it down that way too, because you think about it, like when you're a rookie, you know, who do you want to play for? Do you want to play for pop? Or do you want to go to the Knicks, right? And it's like, like do I you, do. Do you want to play for someone? Yeah. Do you want to play for someone who inspires you to be better than you even think you yourself can be, or someone who, right now, inspires you to be worse than you already are? Yeah, yeah. And if if, if there's a virus and you're depending on your leader or to protect you from the virus. Do, do, do you want to, you want that leader to be Popovich or do you want it to be whoever's coaching the Knicks this 20 minutes, right? Like, I mean, this is the only time where I would argue, and obviously I'm a Knicks fan, I'm biased. Like, it's actually probably not only better for my sanity, but it's probably better for America that the Knicks aren't playing, right? Because I can't trust them to win the game, okay? Or, 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 or oh, no. have a good draft, okay? I definitely can't trust them to keep the virus away. Like, just shut the Knicks down. That's right. Ice. That's right. Shut okay. them down. The Spurs and others <laughs> running things for a little while. But so, yeah, so Rex, I, I, I want to ask you, um, I am going to come back to ask you about the opioid story, but I want to okay. ask you a question. I ask everyone else. You talked a little bit about Trump. You're talking about a lot of issues that have you uh, have you animated. But Rex Chapman, what makes you angry? Right into it. So I'm going to tell you this story. This is the story, the opioid story. This makes me angry. Three years ago, I was 
you know, kind of working my way back into society after, you know, just really, you know, I spent 14 years and in and out of rehab and life had just gotten worse and worse and worse divorce. And I've gotten in trouble. Now I'm just trying to build things back. And I started speaking, doing some opioid speaking stuff. And the national safety council asked me to speak for them. Flew to Chicago, spoke at national opioid day. It was great. Uh, um, and about six months later, I, the, this administration was in, in power at this point, uh, Trump and, and these guys. And they contacted the uh, National Safety Council and said, hey, we need a speaker for National Opioid Day here at the White House. Can you guys, you know, find a speaker and speak for 10 minutes? And, and so they called me. And now, mind you, at this point, I felt Trump had already, he'd already started going in on be- NFL players while at the same time praising NASCAR fans. And I wasn't feeling any part of his, his crew at this point. So when the national safety council asked me, uh, they said, would you come and do this? I said, absolutely not. And she went, really? I said, I don't think I can do that. I just, I don't want to go and, you know, if I felt like they were serious about it anyway, she said, just think about it, take a day and think about it. So I came back, I talked to all of my liberal friends. I talked to all of my conservative, conservative friends and excuse my language, but all of them basically to a person said, fuck you, get over yourself. You go do it. You're going to do some good for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, okay, all right, I'm going to try mm-hmm. to do the right thing. So I called and I said, all right, I'm in. So they said, great. So they sent me itinerary. I got it. I'll send it to you later. Um, I was going to speak for 10 minutes, you know, big, big to do at, at the White House. Um, you know, we were already planning to send a camera crew here locally to go and cover it and all that stuff. Well, a couple of weeks went by. I hadn't heard back another week. Finally, I was like, look, I got to, you know, schedule some other things. Are we doing this or aren't they? I got a call back saying that they had gotten a response from the white house, but what I thought we were waiting on was like, you know, they have to do background checks, all that stuff. Right. Got a call back and said that, uh, Rex, sorry, but listen, basically the, the, the message is you guys are welcome to come and, and participate in this, but not if Rex Chapman is, is going to be the one coming. And she said, so I think you've been made a little bit of a political football here. I went, wait, what? And so I said, no, no, there's no way. Come on. I said, just, all right, we'll have them put that in writing some way and send it about why they don't want me to. Uh, and she said, maybe your Twitter, or I said, I don't care what it is. I just would like to know that, you know, there's a reason. Is it just, is our opioids partisan? So she called back and then they, you know what they said? I think they realized maybe they had a little PR thing on their hands. They said, you know, you know what? No, we'd still love for him to come, but it's not going to be a speaking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to change that up. I said, I am not going for them to have a photo op to do this. Um, and they said, well, they said you could meet. <laughs> they said, if you came, you could meet with Mitch McConnell. And, and I said, Mitch McConnell lives about 45 fucking minutes down the road. If I wanted to go talk to him, I would go talk to him. 
I don't want to talk to him. I said, I, I, I was blown away. I was blown away that, that we're not trying to help. They're not trying to help people. Mm-hmm. So I came back, I started my opioid foundation and I've been going for the last two, three years around and speaking at all the, this, and this is what gets me. It makes me want to cry. I speak to all of these, uh, rehab facilities. I mean, from Lexington and Louisville to little places in the, in the sticks, man, mm-hmm. these people have lost everything. They're hurting. They're in rehab. And a lot of them, most of them are around here. They're Trump supporters mm-hmm. and they don't know that they don't care. They don't care. I'm, I'm, that makes me angry. It makes me angry that, look, I've been here. I've been here. And you can say maybe there are more visible recovered, recovering opioid addicts out there. Maybe there are, but I'm one of the top and I'm right here in their backyard. Yep. And not once, not once in four years have they asked me to do something. Mm. So uh, that makes me angry. So they're not trying to help. Thank you for sharing that, man. And you've been courageous in sharing your story throughout, you know, your life in the last couple of years, especially, I think gives people a lot of power, but also, you know, you, you, you're popping the bubble on what I know working in the political sphere, you know, they're, they're not inviting me to the white house either to talk to Trump because I'm a critic of him and you're on a very different level from me, but Trump does not want anyone near him. Who's critical, no matter what the cause. I just can't. Yeah. And what I can't, what, like, I'm going to go to the white house and show my ass. Like I was, I would go there. I would be respectful. I would talk about opioids and I would leave. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, they're also talking about, they they are also the masters of the photo op. So Mitch McConnell would have to have a photo with you, with you not talking where Zero he chance. in a campaign ad in Kentucky, right? And and now he's got a fight against Amy McGrath, whether or not she can, you know, contend with him or not. But, you know, it's all about them. And My junior year in high school. Please. My junior year in high school, Mitch McConnell was elected to the Senate. They, my junior year in high school, 1985. He flew in a helicopter from Frankfort, Kentucky to Owensboro, Kentucky, which is an hour and a half drive. He flew in a helicopter and our, our school made us go out to the football field to welcome the new Senator. Weird, but okay. I'm a kid. That's what you got to do. I walked out and, uh, I saw Mitch McConnell get out of the helicopter right there on the football field, had a little handler right behind him getting off or handler. I say, uh, assistant what a briefcase briefcase with a confederate flag on it and i turned around walked past my teachers and i said fuck this guy and went back inside and i got i got in trouble i had to go to the office i got a detention over it but hey man this is who this man is Mm. i'm not i've been i've been knowing this but come on and again maybe maybe having him as the senate majority leader I mean, or having him in what, maybe it gave Kentucky a little panache at some point in time. That shit's passed, man. I mean, I, I don't know who he's taking care of around here. You know, he, he brought hemp to Kentucky and left hemp to Kentucky in the last few years. And he, 
He hadn't brought medical marijuana. I mean, he hasn't given addicts a, a shot. Doesn't work for everybody, but it does work for some. And that you would deprive Kentuckians? You're the big man. Come on. What's going on here? I'm, I, I am so happy that you are uh, speaking your mind on this because I did a whole segment a couple of last year about Kentucky. We had Amy McGrath on and I'm rooting for her. I'm an independent. I don't care who it is, but I think Mitch McConnell's bad for America. He's definitely bad for Kentucky. He's fucking killing you guys. We got, right? we got shitty roads right out here, dude. I, I, there's potholes in my fucking neighborhood. There's potholes right out here on the, on the city streets down to going down to rough arena potholes. So I got to ask you, man, I got to ask you, would you ever, I hope Amy McGrath wins, but the numbers don't look good. Would you ever run for office? Would you ever run against Mitch McConnell? I think you could beat him. Like, I don't know if Amy McGrath could, but if you ran real job, you could run as a Democrat, but would would you ever run Rex? I, I can't, dude, that you would even ask that I'm a college dropout. I don't have, I don't have a degree. I didn't give a shit about school. Um, I've, what I've learned about life, I've learned in the last five or six years. I, I, no, that, that's a real job. And where I'm shitting on Mitch right now, at least, hey, anybody that goes into that, that line of work and decides to do that, it's pretty noble. However, I think his nobility left him a long time ago, and now he's in it for the money, man. He's just lining his pockets until he can get it. I mean, that look, I, I could go on. You know, he's tr- the man's taking the most money from Big Pharma than any any American in history. Look, man, I, I appreciate there's a bill on his desk that he they will not punish Purdue Pharma. I mean, uh, uh, bipartisan. I mean. <laughs> it would be laughable if it wasn't so terrible. I appreciate your your humility, but I also am an astute political watcher, and I would say let's revisit this. Maybe you can come back in a year and we yeah. can talk again as you can right. get deeper into politics. My my friend Tom Porter used to always say to me, "Oh, if you're not into politics, you don't think you're into politics. Politics is into you." And I think you, yeah. every man, you you could give well, thanks. a hell of a turnaround when it comes to their brand. <laughs> And if after this show, if someone doesn't have, you know, draftrexchapman.com, you know, someone's going to get it right now. Because no, you know what, Rex those, Chapman but, is I, I, I've been asked, I've been asked, and that, that it does, it makes me, I've got so many friends who are so smart and that somebody would think, I, it, it lets me know where we are, though. It does. They need somebody who's. It, well, he's a drug addict. Yeah. Is that the bar now? No, is but the Rex, bar? I, I it used to be. I mean, it's but this, it's with this guy in office. Yeah, but respectfully, I mean, too, respectfully, too, man, like I said earlier, leaders are coming from from unexpected, unconventional places. Right. Nobody would have thought this guy would have been the president a couple of years ago. And not to say you're at all the same, but but everybody's got their problems. Everybody's got their skeletons. And someone who's been through that is, I think, what people are missing. Like, we need someone who understands opioid addiction from a personal standpoint in Congress. Maybe it would be a higher priority if we do. It's the same argument I make about veterans, why we need veterans in office. We have a secretary of education who's never been a teacher. Like, the the authenticity is really missing right now. So I'm going to come back to you in a year. All right. All right. And we'll revisit this. 
I think I think there's a lot of folks who maybe have never heard about you or have never heard about <laughs> you talk about politics. They're going to be excited. And and draft Rex Chapman. The T-shirt sales may may even you know beat out the the blocker charge ones. I, I wasn't even a I wasn't even a good leader on my basketball team. Well. You know what? <laughs> the moment the moment is calling, man, and you've been answering the call. And, right. and and I mentioned earlier you've been giving a lot of people some positivity and inspiration, you know, especially folks that have been going through hard times. Right now it's someone like you that can, you know, look them in the face and say, Hey, I know I know where you've been. Yeah. But you also bring that positivity. You you bring, you know, you lift other people up, especially now. So I want to ask you the other question I ask all my guests, Rex Chapman, what makes you happy? Oh boy. Uh a couple things that, you know, my, my kids, uh, first and foremost, you know, they're 27, uh, 25, 21 and 19 boy, and then three girls. And while they were growing up, I wasn't always my best man. When, uh, for my little ones, they, they haven't really, they didn't really know me without painkillers. Hmm. And so what makes me happy is really and truly, I woke up for, man, the better part of 14 years. I woke up every single day, every night. And the older I get now, you know, go to the bathroom four or five times a night. I can remember waking up, go to the bathroom and just really having the same thought in my head that my life's never going to be worth a shit again. And I'm so happy to be off of opioids. They just dominated my life. Uh, for so long, I'm happy to, I, 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 I honestly, I couldn't see anything on the other side of it. I was just, I had resigned myself that this is just, this is it. And if had that been it, I wouldn't be here because I would have devolved into, I'm sure needles and, and whatever else. So I'm really happy to be here and be able to, you know, do this, be able to see my kids and, and, because I have so many friends and family members, people uh, across this state and across the country that I know have lost people mm. to this, lost them and what they wouldn't give to just, you know, sit down and do a Zoom or, you know, have a beer with, you know, somebody they've lost. So I, I'm that makes me happy. And yeah, that's it. That's good stuff, man. That's good Thanks. stuff. I have I have gifts for you. Uh, but before right. I get to that, I just want to ask you because you got me fired up. I think anybody <laughs> who to this conversation is going to be fired up. You know, you're a guy who's been through adversity. You've been, you know, down on your luck and you've come back, right? America's kind of down on its luck right yeah. now. We're rooting for that comeback, right? And a lot of folks are, are going through a hard time right now. I mean, you know, if, if we're in Coach Rex Chapman's locker room, what's your, what's your message to the team? That that and the individuals on that team that maybe just lost their job, maybe have COVID, maybe struggling with, with any number of things. What's your message to them in this time of adversity about what's possible? Man, I, again, I, I don't know what kind of leader I am, but I'm a I'm a horse racing guy, and and I, I could read the racing form probably before I could read a newspaper. Um, this this pandemic right now, this is not a sprint. It's not a sprint. This is a, this is a route and you better have some endurance for this uh, because it's going to be tough and it's going to get tough. You know, I, I do know there were a couple nights I slept in my car after being a lottery pick and making millions of dollars and all that um, where I, 
I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And the best thing that I could say is just find somebody if you're struggling, find somebody, somebody, whoever that is, who will listen to you, who will just hear you cry, you know, who, who won't judge you for, for feeling how, however you feel, talk to somebody a, a lot of times. And through this COVID relief stuff we've been doing, that's kind of been the focus, knowing that, man, there are people at their breaking points. And sometimes if you can just get a hot meal or a, 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 a friendly smile or something, it, it can get you from that tough place during the night to seeing the sun come up in the morning. And then it's a whole new day. You just got to keep trying to do the next right thing. Right on, man. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for that. that that's you got it, bro. That's gonna that's gonna touch some people as as your work continues to do. So, Thanks, like bro. I said, I, you're just getting started, man, and I, I'm excited <laughs> to see you continue to to evolve and grow. Thanks. And I got to give you some quick gifts, right? So I would normally Let's do it. Person. So someday when the pandemic's over, we're gonna do this great reunion, and we can all get together, and you can. We can, we can bring my Camaro and uh, we can all drink some Rex Chapman's and, and, and I'll, I'll bring my 85 El Camino. Yeah. My uncle bought it my junior year. Wow. High school drove to all my games in it, gave it to me a few years ago when he passed. Awesome. What color is it? Two tone black and silver. Ooh. Does it have a name? Rex? Folks, his name was E.L. So I just call it EL because it's El Camino. Uh, that works, man. Every car has got to have a name, right? right. All right. Yeah. And you got to have some gear. So I'm sending you some 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 Angry Americans swag here. We don't have tie-dye yet like you're wearing now. I'll send you back, back blocker charge gear. I'll rock it. I'll rock it. I love it. I love it. And then we also uh, going to send some Bravo Sierra stuff. we got some... Some oh, yeah. And some antibacterial wipes. They make great stuff and they support the military and veterans. Uh, I also have a, a special bottle of Uncle Nearest 1884 small batch whiskey oh coming your way. Gosh. Now I got friends that will that that won't go in the Rex Chapman, but I'll, I've got friends that will. I, I figured that. you would. You can give yeah. it to somebody who wins a contest oh on your Twitter account or something like that. That's great. It's bottled in uh, in Columbia, Tennessee, but oh uh, you know you guys in Kentucky know a heck of a lot about whiskey too. So I'll send that your way. And then lastly the Rorschach test of this show that we've done from the beginning. Okay. All right. I ask every guest, if you had to pick a color of peeps. Yeah. Pink, blue, or yellow. Uh-huh. Let me get this right there. Which color yep. would you pick Rex and why? Pink. Pink. Absolutely pink. Mainly because my favorite flavor is cherry and anything red. I'm usually for, so that's what it is. It's, you know, it looks pink, so it looks more cherry to me. That's how my brain works. <laughs> cherry, cherry really is the best flavor. I think I, it is. is I don't even I don't even know what the debate is. Yeah, especially anything frozen, right? Like if you're yeah, gonna get oh, an icy yeah. or a slushy, there's kind of cherry and then cherry and everything else. Yeah. All right, so I got a bonus question because I've uh -huh. only asked repeat guests this, and I've asked this on my radio show, but I got to ask you because I can't miss this opportunity. The great debate that we have had frequently on Angry Americans and when I've hosted on the radio. You can only choose one. Rex Chapman. Yeah. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Why? Pancakes. Why? Oh, because I'm trying to watch my weight. They're a little thinner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That's a great, great one to end on. 
Rex, you are uh, an important, iconic, inspiring American. You're bringing tons of positivity, especially right now. I've always been a fan of yours. You have millions of fans around the country, around the world, and you're going to have many more after this conversation every day you're out there. So thank you for your courage. Thank you for your your candor. Uh, One of my mentors always talks about powerful vulnerability. I think you've shown some tremendous, powerful vulnerability over the last couple of years, especially, and you're a real leader for this time. And I'm honored to have had you on the show and have this conversation. Thank you so much, my friend, for joining us. Thank you, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And next time I want to learn more. I, I honestly do. I Even growing up in, here in Kentucky, I have friends who have family members, lifelong military people. I need to learn more about it. I need to learn more about what you do and what you've done. Uh, there, are t- I have there's a guy here in town. He's a former football player over at UK, Fred Maggard. He was in the in in the uh, armed services, and I, I just I what I do know and what I find fascinating is that uh, you know he he's a college football player, really good. But I also know that his teammates in the service, there it's the same. It's the same thing, and there's a love and kinship that goes on there. So I, I want to learn more about about what you guys do and have done. So next time, let's you got do it, man. We, we will make all it right. happen. And maybe in addition to block and charge, we have to add something about picks because we're all kind of setting picks for each other right now. That's right. right. That's and that's right. the key to a good team. I, I was a shitty basketball player. But Anybody I was really, can set a pick. But I was really that's good at right. setting picks, dude. I was really good at setting picks. Every player's got – only some people can score. But every player's got to defend, set picks, take charges, and dive on the floor for loose balls. And if you don't, you're a bad teammate. There you go. Well, Rex Chapman, you are a great teammate. You're a great American. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. And stay frosty. There's always plenty of reason to be angry, especially right now. But there's a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it, and a way to make an impact, just like Rex does every single day. And just like every guest we've had on this show from the start. So unless you're new here, you know the deal. It's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that'll channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And especially now, more than any other time in our lifetime, we need helpers, and we need everyone to be a helper. Beirut has been devastated by an unprecedented explosion. Hundreds are dead, thousands are wounded, and a city's devastated. And if you've seen the videos on Rex's Twitter feed or anywhere else, you've seen the devastation. It's horrific. People are suffering, even in the midst of all the pandemic suffering. We can still be moved by this kind of tragedy. And we can be a helper. And you can go online right now and support the Lebanese Red Cross. You can find them on Twitter or you can go to supportlrc.aap. Supportlrc.aap. 
www.lebanese.aap or just Google the Lebanese Red Cross. The Lebanese Red Cross is supporting things like ambulances and maintenance and fuel. They're sending in defibrillators for CPR. They're sending in personal protective equipment for COVID-19 for first responders. They're helping the people who are suffering and dying on the ground right now in Lebanon. The video is some of the most moving stuff we've seen in a year where we didn't think we could be moved anymore. But the tragedy in Beirut is something that can bring us together in unity to be helpers. Check out the Lebanese Red Cross. If you can't donate, spread the word and rally as Americans to help people who are devastated. We're Americans. We're helpers. That's what we do. So don't just be angry. Be active. If you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media. Use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. All right, we switched up the format a little bit today. I'm going to continue to do that in the summer. I hope you dig it. But I want to thank a couple folks that helped make this episode happen and have helped make this show possible throughout the pandemic, throughout the summer, and into a big fall and a really important winter. Most of all, Rex Chapman, incredible human being. Follow him on Twitter. Watch his show on Adult Swim. And go watch some highlights of him especially the dunks. Go back and check out the video and check out the player that Rex Chapman was. You will be amazed. Check out the dunk contest from 91. It's awesome. And support his foundation, rexchapmanfoundation.org. The Rex Chapman Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on raising funds and awareness for nonprofit groups that are fighting the opioid epidemic. If you're not angry about what's happening with opioids, you're not paying attention. And not enough Americans and not enough leaders are paying attention to the opioid epidemic, which is only magnified by the pandemic. So the Rex Chapman Foundation supports groups on the ground level that are assisting drug addicts with housing and treatment. These organizations are doing things for struggling addicts that most of us know nothing about. So check out what Rex is doing. Go to rexchapmanfoundation.org and... Help me get him to run for Senate. If he won't run against McConnell, he could run against Rand Paul or someone else or anyone else. I just want to see more Rex Chapman. I think he's an outstanding leader. And I think after you heard this conversation, you'll feel the same way. So my thanks again to Rex and especially for pivoting in a week where my house got hit by the hurricane and we had to adjust. But Rex was awesome. And my deepest thanks to him. He's a total class act. My thanks to the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. Uh, they make all of our content happen, and especially the video content, which you should check out on all our social media platforms and on YouTube. Big thanks to our friends at Uncle Nearest, who continue to provide some amazing product for our guests. Go to UncleNearest.com, learn the story, check out the whiskey. Also makes a fantastic gift. Thanks also to our vigilant Patreon members. You continue to support this project. You continue to support all our work at Righteous Media. And you continue to support the Angry Americans movement. Especially want to thank our newest members. Pierce North, my friend Pierce, gave him a shout out last week. And now he's a member of the Patreon crew. Welcome, Pierce. And Lynn Blanche, who is now also joining us. Lynn, my thanks to you. Welcome to the Patreon community. You can check us out on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's an exclusive membership that helps you support this show you can join for just five bucks a month and you can get access to exclusive content behind the scenes and upcoming virtual and eventually actual events so check out angry americans on patreon and join us if you can and spread the word 
Thanks also to my friends at Marty's Mercantile. Marty's Mercantile is in West Shokin, New York, and the Catskills next to the post office. Marty Lynch is the owner, and I want to give a shout-out to Marty and his cousin Dominic and his wife Sarah, Teresa, the whole gang over at Marty's Mercantile. They have awesome breakfast food, incredible sandwiches, tons of local New York stuff, including great local beers and ciders, family-owned and awesome. I know Marty from way back in the day. He actually used to work on Rachel Maddow's show at Air America. So my thanks to Marty and the whole crew at Marty's Mercantile. They had a hard time, like many local businesses during the pandemic, but they're fighting and clawing back. So if you're ever going through the Catskills, check out Marty's Mercantile or just go to their website and share with all your friends in New York. Local businesses need all the help they can get. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I want to thank a few angry Americans just for listening. So give us a call, and I'll make you famous. I always want to hear from you. And we have a hotline, 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. Been getting a lot of calls. Sorry I haven't been able to get to all of them, but I hear you. I'm getting them, and I'll try to play as many as I can. Call, tweet, or post on social, and you know what'll happen. I'll make you famous. Yes, reach out and I'll make you famous. Call, tweet, and post and I will make you famous like Mike Jones. Be like Mike. Mike Jones from Arizona. He's an ex-Department of Defense employee, did 25 years of service. He retired in 2016, and he is dog-friendly. Want to give a shout-out to Mike in Arizona. He tweeted, damn, that was a fantastic interview, and I absolutely recommended everyone listen to it for some inspirational food for the soul. Thank you, Mr. Rykoff and the entire team from Angry Americans. He's talking about our last episode with Montel Williams. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. Montel's a really awesome and fast guy got lots of great feedback many of you did not know about montel's history in the military you didn't know about his fight with ms you didn't know about his advocacy for cannabis he's also just a a really interesting guy has a great voice uh, and was a really fun episode so go back and check that out thank you to all of you that supported it thank you also to mike just wear the mask gonzalez md mike is a father he is an em doc he's a veteran of the air force uh, and he is an awesome dude who's out there making a difference and he tweeted struggling professionally with ongoing COVID-19 battle personally with dear friends afflicted by COVID-19 took a minute to re-listen to this great angry Americans Independence Day episode recharge the war isn't over resist Mike's on the front lines as a healthcare worker want to send a shout out to him and everybody else who's on the front lines continuing to fight the pandemic all the nurses the docs the healthcare workers everybody in maintenance everybody that's still out there fighting on the front lines you are not forgotten and thanks for checking out that Independence Day episode Willie Geist if you have heard it go back and check it out it's a big one it's an important one i lay out operation free america and i have a really fun conversation with willie geist an interesting conversation willie geist give you a look behind morning joe and behind media and the pandemic check it out but mike thanks for checking us out and just wear the mask indeed is the rally cry Thanks also to Jay Gatsby out in Youngstown, Ohio. He's an airborne veteran, and he says, Freemasons and heat and frost insulators are my brothers, but the most important part of my life is my wife and girls. Uh, Jay's out in Youngstown great part of america he's got only four followers so check him out on twitter and follow him i am one of those four followers proud to be one but jay tweeted 
Great interview with Norman Lear. Very enlightening. A lot of folks love the interview with Norman Lear. Norman Lear has now turned 98. Uh, send him a happy birthday message, but check out that episode. Norman Lear, fascinating human being, creator of All in the Family and the Jeffersons and so many other great shows, and a World War II veteran. A lot of people did not know that Norman Lear flew combat missions over Europe in World War II. Check out that episode with Norman. It was really, really special. I was really humbled to have that conversation with Norman. I think you'll leave inspired and informed and just with a warm feeling in your heart. So check out the episode with Norman Lear. And my thanks to Jay Gatsby. Thanks for bringing that feedback. I like it and I love it. I'm grateful to all of you, Mike, Mike, and Jay. Makes me think of my favorite commercial of all time. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Thank you, Mike, 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 and Jay. In the pandemic, every day can kind of feel like hump day. So my thanks, guys, for helping me and helping each other through it. And my thanks to all my friends and family for having the patience when I send that video to them just about every Wednesday to celebrate hump day. My thanks also, of course, to my family, my wife, and my two amazing boys. I have an update for you on the Robins, people. I told you last episode the Robins' eggs have hatched, and they were still in the nest. I have news. The Robins have left the nest. We didn't see the first one, but we saw the second one. Jumped out of the nest and bobbed along the grass into the woods just before the hurricane came. So the Robins are out there. They're in the wild. They've made it, and we're rooting for them. And they came into 2020 in a hell of a time in the middle of a pandemic and right before a hurricane came up the coast. We had a hell of a storm, and we lost power in the house for a bit. Uh, and I had to actually push my interview with Rex. Uh, we had it scheduled, and about a half an hour before the interview, lost all power, all Wi-Fi, all Internet. And I had to jump in the car in the middle of the storm and drive down to a local breakfast spot, hoping that they had some Wi-Fi in the parking lot, which I was able to snatch and get a message off to Rex just in time to let him know he'd have to reschedule. But... That's doing media in the pandemic, and another reason why Rex Chapman is a very cool guy and a total pleasure to work with. Uh, we were able to make that interview happen despite the hurricane, despite the pandemic, so my thanks to him and everyone else. But most of all, my thanks to you. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. Please subscribe on an Apple device or wherever you listen to this. We're on every single platform, and you go to Angry Americans and share it with your friends. Rex Chapman wore the number three. For most of his career. So do me a favor. Share this podcast with three friends. Just three friends. Do it for Rex Chapman. Do it for basketball. Do it for America. Share this with three friends. It's absolutely free. And you can help keep this movement going. Tell them to subscribe. And they will have it hot and fresh and waiting for them every single Thursday. Go ahead and do it. Seriously. Do it. Do it. Do it. And keep that feedback coming on social media like Rex Chapman 3's. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And go to angryamericans.us. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can watch the video of my interview with Rex and all our recent interviews. You can check out the Camaro and our Righteous Studio here in the undisclosed location in the pandemic. Whether there's a pandemic or a hurricane or whatever, we're going to continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we're going to keep this movement growing week by week by week. It's okay to be angry, especially now. And know that you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention. And if you don't already, do like Rex. And look for the bright side. Look out for others. 
and play a bit more Prince. It's good for the pandemic soul. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Wear a damn mask. And stay frosty. Stay frosty.